Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Los Calzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Thank you for being here for our very first official episode of Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history and lab testing, you're gonna have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023. And you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com. And we'll also put the link on the show notes page. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and The topic that we're going to do a deep dive into today is one that is near and dear to my heart, not only because it has affected me personally with my own health, it's also affected family members, but what I've seen as I address this particular topic that people get well, people who had no idea that this was a problem. Today's episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the epidemic of insulin dysregulation and the role of intermittent fasting as one of the methods of restoring balance. We've learned from the current pandemic that people at highest risk of complications are those whose metabolic health is out of balance. Those who've been diagnosed with insulin resistance and diabetes tend to fare worse when they're dealing with viral infections. And there are a myriad of reasons for this. There are also lots of studies that support this. According to a survey conducted between 2006 and 2016, so it was a 10-year duration, was published in Metabolic Syndrome and Related Disorders in 2018. According to this survey, 88% of the population is metabolically unwell. So what does it mean to be metabolically unwell? The survey defined it as having a waist circumference greater than 40 inches for men and greater than 34 inches for women, having fasting glucose greater than 100 and hemoglobin A1C greater than 5.7. 88% of the population studied fell into these ranges. This doesn't even count those who are borderline metabolically unwell. And these are people that I see in my practice all the time. So let's talk about what it takes to be metabolically healthy. First, we need to have metabolic flexibility. So what does that mean, metabolic flexibility? It means that the body has the ability to switch easily from using glucose as fuel to using fat or ketones as fuel. 
that there's a flexibility there. So in the absence of glucose, we can switch to fat burning. This is a huge piece of metabolic flexibility. Another thing we need for metabolic health is to have healthy mitochondria that produce lots of ATP for fuel. Not only driving energy at a higher level of being able to do the things that you want to do and and live the life you want to live, but also on a tissue level that each and every organ and gland has the ability to produce this ATP and be energetically able to bring in nutrients, do their function, spit out wastes. Another thing that's really important, and this might be a new concept, is insulin-resistant fat cells. And this may sound confusing because we talk about insulin resistance as a bad thing. We don't want insulin resistance. We want insulin to be able to carry glucose into the cells freely. But if the cells are resistant, they can't. But we want fat cells to be insulin resistant. And as you think about that, it might start to make sense, right? Because what happens typically is as the cells become insulin resistant, fat cells get bigger and bigger and bigger because we can't get the sugar into the cells, the metabolically active cells, and they get stored in fat. So a nice thing is to have insulin resistant fat cells and also insulin sensitive muscle cells, liver cells, organ and gland cells. So these are definitions of metabolic health. And as I just said, 88% of the population is considered metabolically unwell. No wonder we have the epidemics of so many diseases these days. Autoimmune disease, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, to say nothing of the acute viral infections that are becoming pandemic or have become pandemic over the last two years. Insulin is said to be an anabolic hormone. I'm sure you've heard that before, meaning that it causes the deposition of fat and protein into cells. But recent research suggests that insulin is not necessarily anabolic. It's just anti-catabolic. It stops the breakdown of fat. It puts the brakes on the breakdown of fat. So what exactly does insulin do? Let's review that and why is it so important? Well, for starters, as we know, it opens the gates on cells to let the glucose in. Without the escort of insulin, glucose can't get into the cells and be converted into ATP and energy. It also opposes another hormone produced in the pancreas called glucagon. And you can think about insulin and glucagon as opposing factors. Insulin helps to keep the blood sugar down. It takes the glucose, puts it into the cells, but glucagon is triggered when the glucose goes too low and it stimulates gluconeogenesis, the finding of glucose in stores in the body. Insulin inhibits gluconeogenesis. Hey, right? We don't need to find stored glucose when we already have plenty in the bloodstream from the meal that was just eaten. Insulin inhibits the gluconeogenesis in the liver, and it inhibits the release of glucagon in the pancreas. That makes sense, right? We need to have this balance in the body. Insulin inhibits catabolic activity in peripheral tissue and acts as a signaling molecule. So we don't get breakdown of fat whenever insulin is high, is elevated. And it's considered the number one fat storage hormone. 
So insulin is pretty important, right? We can tell just by this little discussion and what you know about the, the biochemistry of insulin. It's very important in maintaining metabolic health. It's very important in maintaining balance in the body. It's very important for just about every other function in the body. And it's so overlooked. It's not usually considered by most Western-trained doctors for sure, but even a lot of holistic doctors and more functional doctors really don't look at the importance of getting insulin under control and in balance. Insulin is a key hormone. I kind of consider it the queen of hormones. So controlling insulin sensitivity and maintaining healthy blood sugar levels it involves more than just skipping eating sugar. You know, a lot of us tell our clients, of course, we tell them, don't eat sugar, stop eating processed sugar. But it's way more than just what we eat and just about the sugar. Yes, that's super important. But there are lots of doctors who claim that fat intake reduces insulin sensitivity. But there's evidence that disputes that. According to a study published in 2016 in Biochemical Journal, Low-fat diets can contribute to insulin resistance and obesity because the saturated fat tends to lead to insulin-resistant fat cells. So I think some of the confusion in that, yeah, saturated fat can cause insulin resistance. It can, but it's causing insulin resistance in the fat cells where we want it and not causing it in the muscle cells and the cells where we want insulin sensitivity. The other thing about saturated fat, it tends to lead to satiation. And when people are satiated after a meal, they don't tend to overeat. And we know that overeating contributes to insulin dysregulation, to insulin resistance, to blood sugars out of control. So there's a lot of importance here. And I really encourage you to work with your clients, work with your patients on getting their blood sugar under control to getting their insulin under control, to getting them into a state of metabolic health. So what are some of the risks of having out-of-control insulin and out-of-control blood sugar? They're enormous, and we're not going to take the time to go into every one of these in detail in this podcast because there's just not the time. It, there, I could spend an hour on each of these topics. The risks are very important for you to be looking at because you're going to see these conditions in the patients and clients that you see. And maybe other practitioners haven't really looked at it into the detail that you're going to look at and address the insulin dysregulation. And you get to be the hero. So let's look at some of the conditions that are related to insulin dysregulation and blood sugar dysregulation. And these are some of the most common things that you're going to see in your practice, some of the most common things that people are going to present with that they need help with. Heart disease, right? Number one killer in the US anyway. And those blood vessels get damaged by the excess insulin. It's not just blood sugar that damages, it's the excess insulin that damages those blood vessels and can cause heart attacks and strokes and other things related to buildup of plaque and inability of those vessels to serve the tissues that they are to serve. So if you do a Google search on causes of sudden death from heart disease or sudden cardiac death, you're going to see insulin resistance as the top cause. It's a leading cause. And it's overlooked. And I 
truly believe that this is what killed my parents. They didn't have diagnosis of heart disease, but they had all the signs of insulin resistance and blood sugar dysregulation. Problems with the eyes, right? We know that end-state diabetics, right? The biggest, one of the biggest problems is retinopathy that can cause blindness. But those changes are happening throughout this process of metabolic dysregulation. Kidneys, we know that people that have diabetes long-term, they can end up having to have dialysis because the kidneys fail. These changes are happening all along, not just after this person is diagnosed with diabetes. Neuropathies, right? We hear of peripheral neuropathies and people having amputations because they no longer feel their feet and they get injured and they get infections that the only way to get rid of them is to get rid of the, the limb. These are serious complications and you need to be aware of how to get these under control in your client. We're going to talk in a couple of minutes about some ways that you can do that. We have Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's is now called type 3 diabetes, insulin resistance in the brain. Exhaustion. People are coming in and saying, I'm tired all the time, no matter how much I eat. I'm hungry all the time. Thyroid dysfunction is related to insulin dysregulation and blood sugar imbalance. Gut dysfunction. We see a lot of folks who are dealing with imbalances in their gut, indigestion heartburn, et cetera. And many of these can be linked to an imbalance in insulin and blood sugar. Inflammation's a big one. Insulin can cause the elevation of C-reactive protein. I've seen study after study connecting the C-reactive protein elevations to insulin dysregulation. People with lung infections, people with cardiac inflammation, all of these things can be related to insulin dysregulation. And finally, biggies, really biggies, cancer. And some of that's related to that C-reactive protein. Some of it's related to the glycosylation of tissue, cancer, and autoimmune diseases. These are chronic. These are epidemic. And a lot of people you see are going to be suffering from this. And nobody has looked at insulin and blood sugar dysregulation. And you get to do that. So it's a must to address this if you're working with people with any kind of chronic infection, chronic diseases, all the ones we just talked about, but also people with acute conditions, people with immune dysregulation, people who are suffering from viral infections and catching every cold that goes around. We must look at insulin and blood sugar dysregulation. We must be able to test in a way that's not what you learned in medical school, but is much more precise and much more preventative. In medical school, you learned to test the fasting glucose. And anybody that had a fasting glucose of above 120, 125 on three consecutive occasions, you could diagnose as diabetic. But what about all those years and decades before where this insulin and blood sugar is out of control? What can you do to test that? You were not taught likely to test hemoglobin A1C on just about everybody that came in the door. You are not taught to test insulin, except in diabetics who are taking insulin. Yet these are predictive, early indicators that you can tell when somebody's on this path and you can help them get metabolically healthy. The other thing that you weren't taught, except for your diabetic patients, is to teach them to test their postprandial glucose. And even when you're taught that, 
You're not taught how to test it properly. You're told, okay, test their fasting glucose and then test their glucose two hours after a meal. And if the fasting glucose two hours after a meal is 140 or below, they're probably fine. In reality, they're not fine. There's a lot of research that indicates that above 120, we start to get those peripheral neuropathies. We start to get those changes that lead to the long-term complications of diabetes. So I help people to measure their own glucose. And that's what you need to learn to do. Right now, continuous glucose meters are all the rage. I've been using those for years and wanting to use them for years before that, before they became easily available. But before that, I would just have people go down to the Walgreens and buy a little glucose meter for $15 and buy a bunch of strips and teach them how to test and find their peak, find their peak after they eat a meal, find what foods cause that peak to go higher than we want. And ideally, research indicates above 110 starts to get into the spot where you want to take concern and where you want to take notice and help people to make changes. So we do a process where we teach folks how to measure their glucose at intervals after they eat. Initially, it's every 15 minutes. So we know where they're peaking and we know which foods and which activities are causing them to peak. This is super, super important to learn how to do. So once you've identified that this person has a tendency to insulin resistance. I call it pre-insulin resistance because quite frankly, I don't want to wait until they have insulin resistance, which is that metabolic dysregulation we talked about earlier. I want to catch it before they get there. I want to catch it when their glucose goes out of the 80s as a fasting level, when their glucose goes above 110 or at most 120 after they eat a meal and help them to make the changes they need to make early on so that they're not setting the stage for neuropathy and for kidney problems and retinopathy and the killers, the heart disease and the cancers. And you can do this. So the steps that you need to be aware of, probably have heard these before, but I'm going to just give a little bit of finesse to what, you're, what you probably already know. Obviously, their diet plays a huge role. Obviously, getting the processed fats and the sugars and the flour and the things that cause the glucose to go up, but also the things that damage the receptors. So there's nutrients and we go into more detail and I have something for you to download. I'll tell you more about at the end of this section that you can download and you can look at. So in addition to the diet changes, there are some very specific nutrients that you need to be aware of. And I do some research and figure out how out of balance this person is with chromium and magnesium and alpha lipoic acid and their omega-3 fats and all the rest. But in addition to diet, you've got to look at their exercise. You've got to help their tissues get metabolically healthy, help with increasing the sensitivity of muscle cells and trained muscle cells are much more insulin sensitive. So that's a place to go. There's stress management. We know that cortisol causes blood glucose to go up and we got to get people under control. Sleep is huge. We have sleep deprivation epidemic in our society. People don't go to bed. People can't sleep. There's all kinds of imbalances there. 
And then the last one, which we're going to talk about in more detail here, is meal timing. And that's related to a concept called intermittent fasting that over the last couple of years has gotten very popular. When I started teaching this probably 12 years ago to people who were coming to me and taking our blood sugar balancing courses, nobody was talking about it. Nobody knew what I was talking about when I presented this. But it's gotten really popular and for good reasons. Now, it's not for everybody. In future episodes in this series, we're going to talk about concerns for women and how you deal with it differently. But intermittent fasting, let me define it and let me tell you how it helps to regulate glucose and insulin. So intermittent fasting, when I first learned about it, was described as skipping meals for a 24-hour period a couple of times a week or once a week. Now it's evolved into more like looking at meal timing and windows, eating windows and fasting windows. But however you teach your clients to do it, however your patients best respond, doing intermittent fasting has some amazing benefits. So number one, when we have a space, a gap of at least 12 hours, but preferably 16 the body starts to go into autophagy. It starts to burn up cells that are no longer healthy. And the blood sugar levels naturally drop because you haven't eaten in that long. And the insulin levels go down. So we're reducing the risk of damage to the tissues through glycosylation, the the sugar coating of those tissues. And we're reducing the risk of insulin damage. So spacing the meals, at least 12 hours is minimum. That's, I don't consider that intermittent fasting, but 16 tends to get into some of those metabolic changes. The longer the fast, the more we see a drop in the glucose. We see more metabolic flexibility because the body gets more able to burn fat and ketones as fuel. And we start to repair damaged tissue in that time period. So insulin levels tend to go down, blood sugar levels tend to go down when we've fasted for 16 hours or longer. So I encourage you to download a really great 18-page document that I put together, and we'll have the link in the show notes for you to download that. And it's got all the details you need to know about intermittent fasting and getting started with using that with your clients. Intermittent fasting, it tends to help people get into ketosis much more quickly if that's the goal. And if it's not and there's contraindications, of course, you're working with each individual patient and you've got to look at what's good for them. So intermittent fasting is one of my favorite things to do. One of my favorite ways is having a 16-hour window every day. That works personally for me. Other people I know have an 18-hour window of fasting every day. I also like to include at least one day a week of a 24-hour fast. That doesn't mean you have to tell people not to eat. They can eat every day and have a 24-hour window. And that's the part that I have seen such dramatic changes. A client uh, came to see me, this was probably eight or 10 years ago, and she had been struggling with her weight no matter what she tried to do. But the main thing she came for was her menopausal type symptoms, her hot flashes. And so we looked through and we did a full evaluation and did some blood testing. 
And it turns out that she was insulin resistant, but it was not diagnosed by medicine because she was in the, what I call pre-insulin resistant state. So I talked to her about intermittent fasting and I talked to her about the meal spacing. And she's someone who did really, really well by having breakfast and not eating again until breakfast the next day, if she was doing 24-hour fast or not eating again until, you know, having a light dinner that evening. And very quickly, the weight started to come off and her menopause symptoms started to resolve within this probably two to three weeks. And that's just one example. There are so many. So I encourage you to step outside the box of what you've been taught. Step outside the box of, well, this person's fasting glucose is fine. It's 88. It's 97. And look at this from a different perspective. Look at this from the perspective of what kind of risks are we putting this person in? And how can we identify these imbalances early on? And I believe that when you address insulin dysregulation, when you address blood sugar dysregulation, so many of the diseases, the conditions, the imbalances that you've been struggling to help people with, they vanish. They vanish very quickly. Is this a solution for everyone? No, not necessarily. Everybody's unique. You've got to learn to do the correct testing. You've got to identify the person's risks. You've got to look at their family history. And it's certainly something to consider. And I highly recommend that you do the right testing. That everybody that's having chronic issues, that's having issues with brain fog, having issues with their weight and they can't let go of it, they're fatigued, that you look at some other lab markers that you nece weren't necessarily taught to do and they're easy to do. Hemoglobin A1C, possibly fructosamine, insulin, fasting insulin, and you may have to do a postprandial insulin and postprandial glucose. So I hope you find this useful. I hope you find this helpful. And I want to encourage you to go deeper with this. We've provided you with a resource. It's the, called the Many Faces of Fasting. And in that document, I talk about all the different ways that you can do fasting, intermittent fasting, all the benefits, the effects that it has metabolically on the system. And if you go to reinventhealthcare.com, you will see that listed there regarding this show. And when you go there, you'll be able to download this document that I put together. And it's very, very detailed and very, very complete. So these podcasts are intended to get you thinking. This whole session of how do you go deeper? Which clients, which patients does this apply to? And how do I apply this? How do I do the right testing? How do I give them guidance to get this thing under control? How do I even know if this is a problem? But when we look at the study that I quoted at the beginning, 88% of the population is considered metabolically unwell. Most of your clients and patients are going to benefit from you addressing the dysregulation of insulin and looking at intermittent fasting as one of the things that you do to help bring them back into balance. So thanks for being here. And I look forward to going deeper with this topic on our next shows. Thank you for listening to the Reinvent Healthcare podcast. 
Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well, rather than covering up their symptoms. Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.